Good morning. morning. It is always a pleasure to be here to address this body of believers as we come together on this weekend. I have always enjoyed our times here. Diamonds in the Rough. Thomas Brown, a scientist from the 1600s, said rough diamonds may sometimes be mistaken for worthless pebbles. Bernie, Russia, is home to the largest open pit diamond mine in the world. Its diameter is 3,900 feet, which is approximately from the other side of this road almost to the highway, almost. And from the far east side of where we are now, all the way to the, uh, the tower that's out there. Imagine if that would just sink into a hole. Now, that's hard to imagine. And its depth is from here to the end of this road, out there past the old schoolhouse to the fence line. It is a huge hole in the ground. In fact, it's so big you can see it from space. It's just right there. It is said that it creates its own atmosphere. So if a small plane or a helicopter would fly over it, it would actually allow that plane or helicopter to crash because it couldn't deal with its atmosphere it was creating. So constantly there's a no-fly zone over it. Diamonds are most often found in what are called kimberlite pipes, which is a collection of rocks, very ancient, they say. And they're, they're kind of ancient volcanoes, volcanoes, in a cone shape, but inverted. So the big end is down in the very bottom. The little narrow end is up towards the top at the surface, and that's the reason we, they have open pit mines. They, they find the kimberlite cone, and then they started digging this hole around and around and around to get to that. In an open pit mine, it typically takes about 2,200 pounds of mined rock, a little over a ton, to produce one two-carat diamond, which weighs 14 hundredths of an ounce. And 16 ounces in a pound, 2,200 pounds of rock. Well, you imagine you don't use a shovel and wheelbarrow to figure that one out. So they've invented these huge machines. Notice the Suburban right next to this Cat 797F, which is the largest hauling vehicle in the world. It comes to a site in 11 different parts that they weld together to make it there. And it can haul almost 8,000 pounds at one time. Now, 800, I mean, 800,000 pounds, there we are, 800,000 pounds at one time. And if you mined all that rock, what you might find typically would be 726 carats of diamonds. That would weigh about five ounces, which is five large paper clips worth of weight. So you might imagine then that 
Searching for diamonds is a difficult process. It's messy. It's dirty work. It's taxing. It's unrewarding for the workers. They get lots of diamonds, but they're not theirs. And it is very dangerous work. This morning we're looking at diamonds in the rough from the standpoint of building relationships with the world. And quite frankly, when we begin looking for diamonds or souls in the rough, it can seem very daunting, very taxing, very difficult. And I believe one of the first hurdles that we have to deal with in looking for diamonds in the rough is finding the diamond within us. Because I believe we all have a diamond inside. And if you're like me, sometimes it takes a long time to discover that diamond. Because you may not really believe you have anything to offer. But it is there. This morning I'm going to share my struggle that I've had in finding the diamond inside of me. As well as my struggle for finding souls or diamonds in the rough. My goal in doing that is so that perhaps my journey will help you, encourage you, maybe even challenge you to look at yourself different and then the way that you reach out differently. So let me begin in the distant past. Looking back, I believe this is the first time since I began speaking at the Vandalia meeting in the mid-60s. Now, I think that's a little scary. Think about that for a minute mid-60s that they have that I believe that they gave me the wrong topic now that's not to mean that I hadn't had challenging topics in the past because I've had challenging topics but you see those topics always brought a sense of excitement because I knew I was going to discover something that was critically important or something that I could share with that however this time I felt significantly unqualified to speak about building relationships with the world. I seriously wondered if I had anything to offer. There was no excitement about this topic for me. In fact, there was only self-doubt that I could even address it. And it sat, that paper sat on my desk, my computer desk, for quite a while, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Because, see, growing up in the late 50s and early 60s, I believed in the application of 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And it was very clear to me in my growing up years that that meant that you didn't make friends of the world. You kept yourself separate. And the only friends you had were the friends that were in the Church of Christ. You need to understand I was very zealous in that application. Because the principle seemed to be keeping the saved safe. And that was the reason why we didn't have friends. So for me, what that meant, that all my friends, all my activities were with the kids at 63rd and Blue Ridge Church of Christ, later the, Kirk, the Gregory Boulevard Church of Christ, and then when I was able to drive those people that I met 
as I went to other meetings. Because I thought that the biggest priority was keeping the saved safe. Well, that didn't mean we didn't talk about saving the lost. We had, in my day, we had two-week gospel meetings, usually twice a year. Then we had one-week gospel meetings. And then we had weekend gospel meetings. As a teen, I can remember going to home studies with Brother Ray Turner and literally sitting around a kitchen table as he shared the gospel with a family. But what that all played out for me is I have no childhood friends other than those that are in the church. I have no contact with any neighbors that I grew up with. They were not in the church. I have no fond high school memories because that was the world. There were not any Christians there. I have very few co-workers that I ever felt close to and those only because they taught in my wing and I taught with them for 24 years. So there was a closeness there. And even today, I would say that I have only a very few acquaintances in Kirksville that I have a passing relationship with. You see, that mindset, keeping the saved safe, still follows me. I know it's there, so I work at it. But it follows me and helps me and points me in a different direction. So first of all, disclaimer before I go too much further. This is my history only. This is how I interpreted what was being taught to me. Because I value those that were my mentors in my childhood. I value those kids that I grew up with. I value the evangelist who, who drum the power of the word into my, into my mind during those years. That was all important to me. And I'm greatly encouraged to see our young people gathering together into a community of believers, as was mentioned earlier. Because I think we missed that for several generations. I think there was not cohesion. And this is marvelous to see. I share all of this so that you understand, while the only thing I felt about this topic was guilt, because I just didn't know what it is. One of the questions they asked me is, how do we build relationships with people outside of the church to facilitate teaching the gospel to them? And I don't know how you do that. I have not. I still don't have an idea of how to do it. I can preach it. I can teach it. I can talk about it. But I don't know how to live it. So this is not a comfortable topic for me. I am not good at building relationships to facilitate teaching the gospel to someone. Now that's not to mean I don't have relationships with the community. I smile. I wave. I pass the time of day with my, na- my neighbors who I really don't know except maybe their names. I have not made a connection because, again, mindset, keeping the save safe and fighting that attitude inside me. 
So I volunteer in the community. People know me in the community. But as far as facilitate teaching the gospel to them, I've not had a single time when I have met with one of them to talk about the gospel story. So I feel pretty incompetent about this subject. And that took me a long time to get over. But I'm up here, so I didn't call them and say, no, I can't do that. That was the challenge. What do I do then? Where do I go? How do I approach this? How do I face it? Well, I was reminded of a quote from Corey Tinboom. If you don't know her, you need to look her up and get her story because it's a fabulous story from World War II. She said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Think about that. Wherever you find yourself, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So, diamonds in the rough, building relationships with the world. I have four points I'm going to share. Uh, three of them from the, from the eldership here and one that I believe is important. Number one, are you a disciple worth multiplying? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Am I a disciple worth multiplying? You know, I believe that we all have a sense that we, as we become disciples, we're supposed to be disciple makers somehow. But I don't have the sense that we're taught, at least I wasn't taught, how to be a disciple maker. I was taught how to be a disciple. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, and I'm going to be using a variety of translations, so uh, bear with me on that. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach, it, teach these new disciples to obey, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the age of the world. Jesus made a simple statement. Make disciples by baptizing them. Then take them and teach them so that they can then make disciples of others. That's our task in life. And for many of us, that's not an easy task. And making disciples wasn't a one time. It would have been great if in Acts 2, Peter and the rest of the apostles had made the disciples and that was it and everybody after that became disciples and disciple makers. It doesn't work that way. Every generation, you have to do it all over again. You have to figure it out. You have to move forward. But you notice I didn't ask if you were a perfect disciple worth multiplying because that'd be redundant, wouldn't it? Because the answer would be, no, none of us are worth it. But here's what I'd like for you to think about. If you would have said no in your brain when that question popped up, if you say, no, I don't, not there, then what's keeping you from saying yes? What's keeping you from saying yes? 
Are you just going to be willing to stay there as a no? Or are you willing to move forward in doing something different? After my first year of teaching in 1981, I was meeting with my principal, John Anderson, for evaluation after your first year. And he said something then that changed my life as a teacher and it changed the way I perceived myself eventually as a disciple and as a disciple maker. And he said something to the effect, Dan, I love your enthusiasm for teaching, uh, how you work together with your first grade team, your interaction with parents, but, and don't you hate that word? (laughs) But, and I was waiting for the, it shoe was going to fall. I just got through one year and already I was going to be on probation. I didn't know what was going to happen. But he said, I love your enthusiasm, but I wouldn't want a whole school full of you. And that was a great statement, quite frankly. I wouldn't want a whole school full of me either. But what that said to me and what that allowed me to be, John was saying, I give you permission to be the best Dan you can be. You don't have to be the mural that was the master teacher that I team taught with. You don't have to be her. You just have to be the best Dan you can be. And so as I moved through life, I began looking at that. So I don't have to be the best in everything, but I have to be the best Dan. I have to figure out who this guy is and what he can do and how he can do it and move forward. Because the reality is, we all have that diamond inside of us. I believe that. And it is a process for almost all of us to mine that diamond, to discover it, to shine it up, to make it sparkle. We need to live lives that, when replicated, will be a blessing rather than a curse. We need to live lives that draw people closer to Jesus than push them away. We need, I need, you need, you need to be a disciple worth multiplying. Paul would say to the people at Corinth, don't you know that your body is a temple that belongs to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit whom you receive from God, lives in you. Think about that. The Holy Spirit that God has given you lives in you. That's a diamond, folks. It's there. He lives in you. You don't belong to yourselves. You are bought for a price. So bring glory to God in the way you use your body. This discipleship that we do is simply recognizing the gift that we have been given and how we are to use it to share it with others and to interact with the fallen world. So, a couple of points then from the elders. How do we let our Christianity show in the things we do and say in our daily lives in a way that others will notice and want to know why? And quite frankly, that's a very old question. I can remember hearing that question as a child back in the 50s and 60s. It's still a good question. However, 
I didn't quite like it. So we're going to do something different. We're going to we're going to have a survey here, unofficial. And I think and I think I know how it's going to come out, but you may surprise me. So we'll see how this has worked. So I'm going to make two statements. One at a time, I'm going to make a statement. Then I'm going to give you a thinking time. I don't want you to respond. I want you to just look at it and think about it. And then I'm going to repeat it again, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you agree with it. Okay? So here we go. I have had someone notice the things I do or say and ask me how or why I behave that way. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Now get ready. I have had someone notice the things that I do or say and ask me how or why I behave that way. Raise your head if that has happened to you. Put them up there. And I want you to look around, not look at people, but look at the number of hands up. That was my expectation. Put your hands down. Okay? Now I'm going to change that statement just a bit. And let's see what the difference is. Okay? I have had someone notice the things that I do or say and ask me how, why I believe. Hang on just a minute. I have had someone notice the things I do or say and ask me how, how, why I believe that way. And it led to at least one Bible study. Thinking, thinking, thinking. I have had someone notice the things I do or say and ask me how, why I behave that way. And it led to at least one Bible study. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Now take a look at the hands. They're different, aren't they? You put your hands down. Different. You notice I didn't raise my hand either. It's different. So there is something about not just living a life. There has to be living the life and saying something about living that life. Growing up for me, there was the emphasis on being a good example. Because others would see your good works. And that would somehow work out into sharing the gospel with them. But that hasn't happened for a lot of us. A lot of us. We're in the same boat. We're in the same struggle. Recently I have been... I have wondered and have contemplated that I wish I had been taught to speak up more rather than just live. And I would, young people, I would encourage you, middle-aged people, because I'm not in the middle age anymore, I would encourage you to consider that. That maybe it's time to learn how to speak up as well as live. Because I didn't do that. But I am convinced that not all of us will be that person that goes out and makes friends easily or knows how to create a conversation that leads to a Bible discussion. There are those of you that naturally do that. And you are so blessed. I want you, if you could do that, I want you to recognize that you have a talent that's unique. Because not everybody can do it. Because there are a bunch of us. I don't know. Some bunch of us 
who find ourselves on the sideline, sideline, not sure what we're going to do, but what we're really hoping is, coach, don't put me in. Because we don't know where we'll do next. When Jeff Yost was with us in Kirksville, we regularly had Dan's dogs at the campus house there on Sunday nights. One particular Sunday night, we had a bunch of new college students that showed up. It was, it was quite a crowd. We had some that were regulars, but there was a whole group. And I spent about an hour uh, mingling among them, talking to them, finding out things we had, uh, things in common, what their goals were, where they were from, uh, classes they were taking, teachers that they liked. And at the end of that hour, I ran across Jeff, who had spent that same hour talking to different people, and he had set up three Bible studies. And I hadn't even thought about setting up a Bible study. I didn't even, don't know that I ever even mentioned the Lord. He had that talent to know how to move a conversation there. And I didn't, and I don't. So here's what I've learned from decades ago. I was involved in a home study group at our house. We were looking at 1 Peter. We came to 1 Peter 3 and, and 15. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The challenge was given to us to set together a series of verses that you could tell the gospel story to someone from the beginning to their need to the end where they would respond to you in 20 minutes. At that time, well, that was the, the attention span of someone. Isn't that amazing? 20 minutes attention span. But that was the task. And so I spent months culling out scriptures, putting together a storyline that I could actually deliver in 20 minutes. And consequently, I used that that personal script effectively with several people. But never anybody that I started the conversation with. It was others who had started the conversation who were good at it and then they didn't know what to do. And so they came to Dan and Dan Dan could do that part of it. If I couldn't get the conversation started, I could finish the conversation. And so I began working on that. And so that brought me to understand that all of us have different talents. And I may not be the one that's able to start the conversation, but I can be the one prepared to finish the conversation. And I don't know where you are, but you need to be in one of those two camps. You need to know what it is. Or a combination of both, like Jeff, who can start them and finish them. There are some of you that are like that. But you need to figure that out. And there are all kinds of ways to do that. So quickly, I may just share a couple of things with you. Because I have been involved in learning that process. We had a We Care campaign. where, And We Care is where a group of Christians come into your town. They camp for a week. They have a weekend. They have a services every night and morning and afternoon. We go and cold knock in teams of three. And we baptize lots of people that week. And it's, it's an intensive thing. Now, they didn't all stay. But some of them that we, that we found in that week are still with us. 
today. So, and we wouldn't have had them any other way. It's an interesting program. There's Fishers of Men. Fishers of Men was another program that we had someone that came and taught us what are called uh, search search for truth. This is the Fishers of Men. I think there's about 17 or 18 of these. And there are little pamphlets that you go through. And for 12 weeks, we spent two hours a night uh, with someone who came in, flew in from Memphis, Tennessee, and taught us this. And in that process, there was daily activities that you did, daily readings, daily research, and daily practice for the week so that the next week you would come and share what, was ha- what you had learned during that week. And this covers not only learning about salvation, but a lot of other topics. Personally, that's a little too cumbersome for me. We care. They use this little little book. I don't know if you've ever seen these little notebooks. On the question on the front says, "What if the Lord would come right now? Would you know for sure, nothing doubting, that you would go to heaven?" And it gives you a page number to look to, and you flip back to that page number, you read that, and then you just keep running through it. It's easy. And then finally, well, not finally, but another one: open Bible study. Only three. This is, this one I have used successfully with others. I think it's a good one if you have someone who's really searching and has maybe some background in a church somewhere, and they just they they believe they're saved, they believe they're worshiping. This this is a, a good study for them, and and I've used it. I've then updated my own personal script. Uh, that's the OBS, and then a new one that I'm going to go see. Those of you that are interested, Soul Workers Workshop, a fellow by the name of John Rowe. He's a preacher down in Arizona for the Church of Christ, and he has a one-day seminar where he teaches you how to start the conversation and bring it to a conclusion. Last year, he baptized over 60 people, most of which were visitors at his congregation that he had never seen before. And so he does mostly in the Southwest. I plan this fall to take a trip and try to learn what I can do to look for the diamonds in the rough, to be prepared to help others do that. The point is we are disciples, and our call is to be disciple makers. I have to work at doing better at the conversation thing. I probably will never be very good at it. But I can make sure that I am honed to teach the Word when I have the opportunity. How do we present ourselves as friendly to the world? Well, we were on a cruise in April. We traveled through the Panama Canal, which was a bucket list thing of mine. Left Florida, traveled through the Panama Canal, end up in California. It's something I wanted to do for years finally able to do it with six of my six of our friends that also were friends for like 60 years or so a delightful time but we had a a young man by that was our steward Christopher and he made kept our room tidy and he made these cute little animals up here uh, out of towels if you've ever been on a cruise you know that that happens uh 
I don't know how he does them, but they're marvelous. But we also had a, a server by the name of Primrose who attended to our every need for lunch and uh, dinner. And it was great. You know, but there is a there is a mandatory gratuity that you pay on a cruise. Doesn't make any difference. It's eighteen percent. For those of you that are going cruises or thinking about it, just know once you pay for the cruise, you're not done. Uh, there's more. So eighteen percent, because there was two of us, that's thirty six percent gratuity for every meal that's there. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. So Christopher Christopher and Primrose were working one-on-one because even though that gratuity that they had taken out was to be split among all the staff, they were hoping for personal gratuities. They knew how to be friendly, folks. And quite frankly, most of us know how to be friendly, don't we? We can be friendly. Sometimes we don't want to be friendly, but we can be friendly. What we have to do is make sure that we're not too busy or we're not too involved or we're not too unsure of ourselves to share that friendliness. But we also, I believe, need to be involved in our community. And remember, that's something new for me because I'm busy keeping the same safe. Now I'm involved with the community. And that happened since we moved to Kirksville. In about 2015, Galen and I joined a community event called Main Street, Missouri, which is a national organization that teaches you how, teaches you how to bring businesses and excitement into the downtown area in small towns so that they grow and become uh, a part of the environment. And we just love that, and we helped us contact business. We were representatives for the Chamber of Commerce because the church joined, Kirksville Church of Christ joined the Chamber of Commerce and we became representatives for the church. We were involved in activities that were going on there. As that, it gave us uh, lots of things. I'm, I am a member of the Lakes Park and Recreation Committee. And that was really where it started because Gaylene reminded me when I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to put anything together. In fact, last Sunday I asked the congregation to pray for me uh, because I was still struggling. I had about four pages or five pages and I didn't like any of them uh, that was there. Uh, But she reminded me that taped on my door on the computer office there was a personal note from the mayor after I re- appointment to that and it says Dan you are so kind in all your service to our community makes a difference you're there but I haven't had a conversation with him about the Lord on Facebook page as someone a lot of you probably know I just found this this week homeschool friends I'm thankful to be on the board of this group so please let me know if you have questions we offer lots and lots of field trips and events and mom meetups, clubs, age-specific groups, parties, book clubs, chess clubs, CPR certification, team meetups, field day, park day. It also happens to be a very effective response to, but what about socialization? If you can't make the kickoff but would like the sign-up link when it opens, feel free to message me. Part of the community. Opportunities are there. And I mentioned Fishers of Men earlier. One of our ladies from our congregation uh, 
was really involved in that, partly because you, you got extra points for doing extra things, and she likes points. So she did a lot of extra stuff. And part of that was practicing each one of these, those little booklets on a friend with the idea, well, I just need to practice. Would you be my practice partner? And she practiced on someone who was a friend, who was not a Christian, had not come to church. And after that was over, the lady and her friend and I had a conversation. He was baptized. He's a part of our congregation now. So it works. But my big deal, I think, is young people. I really hope that you are encouraged to reach out to your peers. I think that's critically important this time. Much much different than how I was brought up. But even more important than that, that, that you seek information about how to do that. That you get instruction about how do I reach out? How do I move from point A to point C to point D so that it makes sense to somebody? How can I be prepared to, to share the word? Am I ready to actually sit down with somebody and share the word with them? If one of my, if one of my friends said, okay, I don't get it. Tell me why you believe. Can you sit down and in 20 minutes or so share the word with them? I would encourage you to ask for that from your eldership. Because I think it's critically important for us as we move forward as a body that we make that a priority. Being friendly can help open opportunities. But it is a lot of work. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians in the ninth chapter, he says, even though I'm free of demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living, immoralist, the defeated, the moralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ but I entered the world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. 1 Corinthians 9 reveals several basic principles for us about searching for diamonds in the rough you find common ground you you don't have a know-it-all attitude you you make others feel accepted you're sensitive to others people's needs uh, you validate people where they are so that you can move them to where they need to be you know if you don't have a heritage in the church of christ if you're new to this culture, if you will, then probably something like this happened to you. Somebody was sensitive to you. Someone was friendly to you. Someone came close and helped you. C.K. Chesterton, a Christian apologist in the early 1900s, <coughs> said the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting 
it has been found difficult and not tried. That's pretty challenging. And finally, number four. Because my water's out. How can we safely interact with and become friends of those outside of the church? John 17, 15 was the passage given to me. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. And so three things, just very quickly, I think, that we need to understand about that. First of all, Jesus is saying, I want you to be set apart, but not isolated. In other words, you need to have your protective shield around you, but you need to be in a position so that you can draw others inside your shield. And that's a tricky thing to do. Paul would say in Romans 12 that he would prefer... That we as Christians need to be transformed, but not conformed to this world. We need to create a new culture rather than conform to the patterns of this world. And thirdly, we need to understand there is a promise of the word and not compromise with the world. The world has set a standard today that is so out of whack from our from the word it is a woke world and we need to not be a part of that we need to stand up and make the difference but it's not going to be an easy thing it makes the bible makes it very clear that god does not condone compromising his standards from the psalmist psalm 119 joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in His paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Diamonds in the rough. Building relationships with the world. What does it look like to build a relationship with the world? Well, it looks like service. It looks like love. It looks like discipline. It can be hard. It probably will be messy. And it can be time consuming. It may mean doing some things you really don't care too much about. Because Christ challenged us to be in the forefront of witnessing. Of being that guide that's there for all. Again, from the message translation, a familiar passage, Matthew, the fifth chapter. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If you make, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on a hilltop and on a light stand, 
Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll promote people, prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Take a moment to consider those words from Jesus. It means that the secular world is not our enemy. We're not to attack them. We're to love them, to serve them into understanding what God is bringing to them. What He has to offer. We're to serve and help and comfort. To be involved in the appropriate ways as we reach out. Whether it's through charity work, kindnesses, whatever ways that work for you. Because each one of our diamonds looks different. They are not all the same. Some are brighter. Some have more carrots. But they are diamonds. And they need to be there. Let me leave you with these words from Matthew, from uh, Malachi, the third chapter. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord paid attention and listened. A book was written in his presence to be a reminder of those who feared the Lord and respected his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. On that day, I will make them my special possession. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you again see the difference between the righteous people and the wicked people. Between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve him. Diamonds in the rough. May we be servants of the Most High God and seek for his diamonds in the rough throughout our life. Thank you.